Suffering was not a part of paradise that God had created. What we find is that suffering did not come on the scene until sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and then ultimately that sin that they committed was not just a sin that affected Adam and Eve, it was a sin that began to affect the whole of creation. So the suffering that we see in the way of disease, in the way of terrible natural disasters, in the way of man's inhumanity to man, none of that was a part of God's original plan for creation. When God looked at creation and he made it and he said, this is good, suffering and all of the things that I just named were not a part of that original creation. Sin introduced evil into the world, as we saw last week, but it also introduced many of the terrible things that we have as far as natural disasters as well because it broke God's creation. In fact, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and God was talking to them about the consequences of their sin, we find in Genesis 3.17 the following. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife... And have eaten of the tree I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So earth itself, creation itself, was brought under a curse at the hand of God. Furthermore, look what else we find. In addition to the ground being cursed, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So pain had not been a part of man's experience prior to the fall, but now became a part of his existence. And then verse 18, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And by the way, I can attest to that. As I've tried to grow gardens, thorn and thistles grow great. The stuff that I don't want to grow, or that I do want to grow, not so much. So this is a part of the curse. And I feel that curse when I try to garden. The scripture goes on to say, you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread. So toilsome labor, again, part of that curse. And it says that you'll do this until you return to the ground. Death was a part of that curse. And so all of these things were not a part of God's original creation, but they became a part of God's creation when man sinned. So in a very real way, what the scripture presents is this. This broken world is the result of man's sin and the curse that that brought on creation itself. So when we look at our world and we say, man, our world is kind of messed up. Look at some of the things that are going on, the volcanoes, the hurricanes, the terrible tragedies where there's an accident or any of the things that we look at and we say, how could this be? How could this happen? When we trace the origins of how that could happen back in Scripture, we find those origins in the book of origins, Genesis, where it talks about the brokenness of our world that was brought about by sin. Now, understand, when something bad happens to people, as far as a natural disaster or as far as a calamity of some sort, it's not necessarily because of the sin of those people that experience the disaster. 
But what I'm saying is this. It's the result of that original sin that broke our world, that brought all of these factors into play because man sinned against God. Something else. Sometimes people suffer because of the spillover effect of sin. We do not live in a vacuum, but we inhabit this broken world with broken people, right? So sometimes when somebody does something evil, it doesn't just affect the perpetrator of the evil, sometimes not just the isolated victim that the evil was directed toward, but sometimes there is a spillover effect into the lives of many. We've seen what one evil individual can do in affecting the lives of even millions by the evil that they perpetrate. And so what we understand is this. Once again, this is a part of our broken world. And the spillover effect of one person's sin is going to affect all of our lives, all of our experiences. All of us are affected by the brokenness that we see in this world. And that's another biblical truth that we find that is evident all around us. But you know, I think there's a purpose also to the suffering that we see in our world. And that is this. Suffering reminds us that we do live in a broken world. Have you ever considered this? What if God overcame all that sin brought into this world in the sense that none of us ever experienced the sting of sin. What if I could go through life kind of on automatic pilot and there was nothing that ever went wrong in my life or in the lives of others? I was never aware of any problem, any issue. Life is good. What would happen? Well, you know what? We have a case study of that in the Scripture. When we look at Israel, there's a cycle that we saw when we went through the book of Judges. And the cycle was this. God blesses Israel. Things are good. You know what the people did when God blessed Israel? They forgot God. They totally went away from God, gave no consideration to Him. And the phrase that describes their thought process throughout Judges was, Each man did what was right in his own eyes. I would submit to you that suffering forces us to look at our world and say this world is broken. And it forces us to understand that there is one that we need to turn to who is higher than us. If there is no suffering in our world, there will be no perspective about our need for God. And I would submit to you that the reason that many of us discovered God was because we were going through a period of suffering where we had to stop and look and say there must be more. There has to be something else. There has to be someone else besides the suffering that I'm experiencing. Suffering has an important role in our looking to God, in our considering God, in our realization that we have a need for God. It reminds us that not only is the world broken, but I'm broken. 
and I need God. In fact, Jesus said these words. Boy, I I did the double whammy on that one. There we go. I'm suffering with this remote. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus gives this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? You recognize that there is a need in your life. You're, You're feeling the burden of life. The people that Jesus was speaking to were people who were under the heavy load of the Pharisees, a religious system that told people that they could be good enough for God to accept them, and they knew in their hearts that they never would. And in that brokenness, Jesus was giving an invitation, and he was saying, stop carrying that heavy load and find your rest in me. Look at what he says in 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It is in Jesus that we find this rest for our souls in the midst of suffering. So that awareness that we have need very often comes through our awareness of the brokenness of the world and of our own brokenness. Jesus concludes this statement with, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, something else about suffering. In addition to suffering being caused by sin's brokenness, we find that the strength of God overcomes suffering. Suffering exists, but God's strength overcomes suffering. Now, How so? First of all, God sets boundaries on suffering. Last week, as we were looking at evil, we saw that evil could be far more pervasive than it is if God didn't intervene. Well, I would say that suffering, because of that exponential increase in evil that God holds in check, but if He didn't, suffering would increase. Suffering would be worse than what we experience now if God didn't put in place boundaries and rein it in. You know, what intrigues me is this. Many people view what happens in nature as far as natural disasters, what happens in wars, what happens in people getting nuclear bombs, in all of the things that we look at that scare us to death... They view that as random happenstance. As a matter of fact, what we find is very often what people think is when something bad happens and they've just missed it, they look at it and they say, wow, I dodged the bullet there. Not understanding or giving God the glory that God in His mercy delivered them from what happened. You know what I find? Many people are very quick to blame God for the disasters that happen, but they're very reticent to give God credit for the good things and the blessings that come into our lives. We're always ready to say, God, why did you let this happen? And we rarely say, God, thank you for not letting that happen. We really lose perspective on the fact that God puts boundaries into place. 
The things that happen as far as evil, as I said, are things that God holds in check. They are things that God keeps from allowing to take on a life of their own. And the textbook case of God setting boundaries on disasters and on evil is from the Scripture reading that we read this morning, the book of Job. If you remember the book of Job, there was a heavenly scene where God is on the throne, and a part of the throne room in ancient cultures was various folks would come before the king, and they would give an account of what they've been doing out of submission to the king. The king's in charge, so in accountability, I have to share what I'm doing with the one who's in charge. And so the picture of the throne room in heaven was various entities, various individuals coming before God, giving an account. And one of those individuals was Satan. Now, Satan is committed to doing everything that he can to deconstruct what God tries to construct. He wants to see the brokenness of our world grow even darker. And so, as he's before God, talking about what he had been doing, functioning within the boundaries that God had set, God says, look at my servant Job. He is a righteous man. He is a good man. And remember Satan's response. Satan's response was, well, yeah, why wouldn't he be good? He's rich. Nothing ever happens to him. The only reason anyone would worship you, God, is for what they get out of it. Take away the good stuff, and he'll curse you to your face. That was the statement. By the way, this is something that a lot of people believe, that you're going to believe in God as long as things are going well in your life, but when things start to go off the rails, you'll abandon your belief in God. So this is what Satan was saying. And remember what God did. God said, I am going to set a boundary. You can do what you do, Satan, but only to this extent. You cannot take his life. You cannot touch him, only the things around him. Now, this was a testimony that God was allowing to take place to show for all time that there are those who follow God and love God, not because of what God provides for them, but because of who God is, that He is worthy of their praise and their worship. And so this is what transpired with Job. God sets boundaries. Many of us aren't even aware of the protections that God has brought into our lives And sometimes we get a glimpse of it, don't we? Man, if I would have been there at that time, I would have been in the middle of that, right? God delivered us from something. Sometimes God's timing is, guess what? You are in the middle of it. But here's the point. There is a purpose behind it that an all-wise, all-knowing God has, and He doesn't always inform us of that purpose. Suffering is not random, it accomplishes the purpose of God. And that's what we come to in our next point. Suffering is superseded by the strength of God. 
and often what was meant for evil turns into good. We go back into the Old Testament to another J name, and that is Joseph when we think about this point. Remember the story of Joseph? Jacob has sons from whom the 12 tribes of Israel are named, and he has this one son that it's not good to have favorites, but Joseph was pretty much his favorite made him a coat of many colors. God had given him a vision about how his brothers would bow down before him. And probably in a strategic error, (laughs) Joseph mentioned that to his brothers. And he threw kerosene on the fire of sibling rivalry that was already existing. And as a result, remember what his brothers did? They were out working the fields, and they were going to kill him. We're going to take out the competition. They put him in a pit. And then, in one of those boundaries that God had set up, rather than killing them, they saw the opportunity for a prophet. And I don't mean Old Testament prophet, I mean money. So here's this caravan coming along, and they say, hey, why kill him when we could sell him? It takes care of the same thing. He'll be taken off the scene. So, plan executed. Let's take him and send him off with slave traders. And when you look at the life of Joseph and you think about the suffering that he endured, it's really amazing. He was rejected by his brothers. He was sold to human traffickers. He became a slave in a household where he was accused falsely of something that he never even dreamed of doing. He was cast into prison. And by the way, all of this didn't happen in just the few minutes or few seconds that it took me to share that. These were years in the making, right? He suffered. And the intentions of his brothers were evil, right? Let's kill him. So you have this situation in place And what happened? God superseded their intentions. At the close of the story of Joseph, he became high up in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And there was a famine that was taking place in his homeland, and his brothers came to Egypt, never dreaming that Joseph would have that kind of position. And Joseph wound up providing for his brothers and their families and helped them avert starvation. And we find this in the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. So here they are admitting, we did you wrong. We were evil toward you. And then it goes on, and now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And look at Joseph's response. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him. Behold, we are your servants But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? 
As for you, you meant evil against me. Now, look at this in the 20th verse. This stands out. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What this is saying is this, though evil takes place, God is greater than evil, and He can even include the evil plans in His purpose that unfolds in such a way that it still brings about God's good. That's a boundary that God has put into place. That is keeping evil from breaking through and overwhelming the world. And yes, God can even take those terrible things and do amazing things. As a pastor, I have seen families who have lost loved ones in tragic circumstances. And then in a funeral where their testimony is given, people have found faith as a result of that shortened life. From a human perspective, we look at it and we say, that's tragic. But from God's perspective, many are brought into the kingdom as a result of that testimony. Sometimes we have a glimpse into what God is doing and we can guess at what God might be accomplishing through suffering. But sometimes we have no idea because the plan and the purpose of God is beyond our comprehension. Listen, I have a brother who has his Ph.D. in physics brilliant. He gave me his dissertation one time to read. I got through the first two sentences and handed it back and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, the experts looked at it and said, that is amazing. You've really hit on something. I looked at it and went, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't a clue. I didn't understand half the words in the first two sentences. How am I going to understand the rest of it? If that is my intellect compared to a person with about 150 IQ, imagine my intellect compared with an infinite, all-knowing God. We can't see the purpose and the plan of God that unfolds. But this is where, as followers of God, we trust that He's setting the proper boundaries and that He's using these evil and tragic events to somehow accomplish his purpose. And to me, the greatest example of evil bringing about the purpose of God is our own Lord, Christ Jesus. Here is an innocent man. If we look at the life of Christ, he is the only human being who ever lived who was truly innocent. He never sinned. He never committed sin against God or another human being. And what happened? The book of Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then look at the next statement. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. When we look at the evil and the sin around us, it's easy to become faint-hearted. 
disappointed, wondering what's going on here. When we look to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we find? One who was innocent, who suffered, but look at what it accomplished. We are here today because of Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness and a relationship with the Father because of Jesus Christ. One other way that the strength of God overcomes suffering, and that is this. God surrounds us with His comfort. As I look out on the congregation this morning, I see some folks who have been through the ringer. You have experienced loss, physical pain, rejection, heartbreak. You've experienced things that even as I mention this, they well up inside you as you remember what you've gone through. But you're here today because the God of all comfort comforted you in your affliction. And those of you who have experienced deep pain know what the comfort of God is like. Paul wrote to the Corinthians the following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know what this is saying? God makes provision by personally comforting those who go through the deepest pain. But God has put into place the church body so that through those that we fellowship with, those that we rub elbows with every Sunday, we can be a source of comfort to them when we hear about a situation they're going through that is very much like what we've gone through. Or, if you are afflicted, the church body can surround you and encourage you. And that's why it's so important to be a part of a church body. When we have a need, God uses the church to minister to that need. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church family. So God overcomes through His strength the terrible, terrible fallout from evil, often through fellow believers and certainly through His own comfort. Third and final point I want us to look at. Someday suffering in this life will end. Here's the other perspective. The suffering that we experience now is not ongoing forever. Sometimes when you're in the midst of suffering, doesn't it sort of feel that way? Oh man, this is never going to end. You know, as I've counseled people who are afflicted, the scariest thought that they have is this, it will always be like what I'm feeling right now. And I'm scared and I'm angry because I don't want to feel this way. Listen, there's coming a time, according to God's Word, where this brokenness in the world will be fixed. 
In fact, what the Scripture shares with us is when we are with God, when this life is over and we look back on the suffering that's so profound and so real, we're going to consider what seems unavoidable and something I will never forget. We're going to consider it light and momentary in comparison to what we receive in eternity. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you see one who was beaten, who suffered imprisonment, rejection. He suffered terrible, terrible affliction to carry on the work of Jesus Christ. And yet, look at what he writes to the Corinthians. We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, where the things that are seen are transient, meaning they're here for just a while, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, that's the tension when we're in suffering. We're looking at the seen, but the unseen awaits us. And as human beings, it's so much easier for us to focus on the seen. But it's so much more important for us to focus on the unseen. The God who is. The God who comforts. The God who sets boundaries. The God who will deliver us from this all one day when we appear before Him. That's our hope. In fact, when we look at this world, it's very much kind of like the woman who, who goes through labor. You know, when I went through, I didn't go through it, Paula went through it, labor of our first child. You know, I watched her for the last few months of her pregnancy very uncomfortable. And we went to Lamaze classes, and I thought, okay, I'm prepared. And then we're in the delivery room, and I'm like, whoa! She's never going to have another kid. Why would anybody do that? And you know what? When they laid Ryan on her chest, I saw a look of joy and thankfulness on her face. And what she communicated to me was the suffering was worth what we got. That's just a glimpse, I think, of what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 4. What we're going through now is unpleasant, perhaps. Hurts, perhaps. But what results at the end of it all will make it all worthwhile. Because we will see God for who He is. And that brings us to the next point. Suffering will not be a part of our heavenly experience. I want to just read a passage of Scripture that explains this. I don't think I need to comment beyond what the Scripture says. And listen to what it says. It's from the book of Revelation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people 
And God himself will be with them as their God. This is the new heaven that Revelation describes. But I've read verse 4 at the bedside of many who are ready to leave this life and go into the presence of the Lord. When I was with my dad, I wasn't even able to read it. Paula read it for me. But listen to what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our God. That's how God finally brings suffering to its close. And that's what we have to look forward to. You know, the Scripture describes our existence on this life as sojourners. We're passing through this world. And there awaits the child of God a place where suffering is a thing of the past. And we need not face it ever again. But there's a point that we have to look at, and I think this one is crucial. And that is the salvation is the only way to be delivered from suffering. See, there are other people who reject all that God has to offer, and they are consigned to eternal suffering. And the Bible is crystal clear about that. But for those who become the people of God, turning to Him, trusting Him as their deliverance and their Savior, there is a place where that will be all done away with, but There has to be a personal relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That living hope is deliverance from suffering and sin. So He has delivered us to this living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Now look at this. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Many of us face those trials, but God has something greater in store for us. In the upper room, Jesus gathered his disciples, and he talked to his disciples about his own death. And he warned them about a death that they would face as well. When you look at the disciples of Jesus Christ, Judas, of course, committed suicide. John came through without dying a martyr's death, but every single other disciple died a martyr's death. And Jesus warned them that they would suffer and be persecuted there in the upper room. But he also said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. When we look at suffering in our lives, it's easy to have troubled hearts, isn't it? So how do I overcome that suffering that I'm experiencing? I believe in the unseen over the seen. I believe in God. I believe in His Son. 
And then there's this promise. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then this verse, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want ultimate victory over suffering? You find it in Jesus. He died on the cross to prepare a place for you in the presence of the Father, away from every tear, every pain, every sorrow. Jesus prepares this for you. But it is only through faith in the work of Jesus Christ that we experience that. Not through our works, not through the church that you belong to, not through the family that you were raised in, only by a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in him, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that by sacrificing himself on the cross in your place, he took upon himself your sin. And he dealt with it. And that by believing in him, which we celebrate at the Lord's table in just a few moments, by his body, by his blood, we have forgiveness and the deliverance from sin and all of its consequences ultimately when we appear before him in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text and others that give us such hope. We live in a broken world, Lord, and it becomes more and more evident as we look around us how thankful we are that you have made a way of escape, that you have provided for us forgiveness and salvation in Christ Jesus. So God, my prayer is that for everyone here this morning who knows you, they will look past their affliction and they will see the deliverance that can be found in you. And Father, if there is one here this morning who does not know you, may they open their heart to what you have freely given in Christ Jesus and trust in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.